Amen. Thank you, uh, Miss Virginia. And what a wonderful and beautiful message in that song. And let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And I'm preaching on the subject this morning Christ, our only hope. Three main things that I want to look at this morning as we look at the text. And then I'll chase a few rabbits, I'm sure, and hope to catch those in which we run after. But anyway, may God be glorified in His Word, in the preaching of His Word this morning. May we be hearers of it. If you would, as you find Colossians 1 this morning, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's holy, inspired, inherent, and infallible Word? Colossians 1 we're going to pick up there in verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So thank you for your word. And I pray and I ask this morning, Lord, you might this morning that God it would lift you up and that in so doing so, Lord, that you would draw men and women and boys and girls to the cross, that the scriptures would be made known to us and that, Lord, we would not be one who simply hears this morning, but that we would act and we would respond in faith, that we would be a doer word. God, hide me this morning that, Lord, not about us, it's about you. Lord, you would work and move today even in spite of us, Lord. May you have your will and your way and your purpose. You be glorified. May we be strengthened and encouraged by the hope that we have in you today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. define hope as a joyous expectation that something good uh, and we're told in scripture that is the substance of things hoped for 
and that it is the evidence of things not seen. Uh, it's interesting when we begin the epistle here that Paul writes, something here that just on its face value is something that this, this, is, this is the purpose of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or, or may it be said of every church uh, that is meeting uh, today as we look at the scriptures this morning it says in verse 4 since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints those ought to be defining things in every local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, I mean, forget, you know, we talk about PR and, and message, on message and things of that nature, and, and all of that is important. There is not a greater testimony, though, for the church of the living God than they people know of your faith and they know of your love for one another. God uses that. There is... Uh, a powerful testimony in that. And Paul said that, that they make mention of that, that, that this is something that is obvious and that uh, many have understood and that they see and that the hope in which that alone bring, brings that God's people are active and that they are part of fulfilling the call and the purpose of God in their life. Now, when we think about hope, and I say that Christ is our only hope, understand that that is a timeless claim. In that for centuries, uh, we have heard of that. Uh, this is not a new thing, uh, but for, uh, you know, over you know, nearly 2,000 years, the modern New Testament church has these things prior to that for thousands of years. The, 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 the Hebrews taught this, that their hope, uh, lied in God. And so this is a timeless claim, and it is also a serious claim to believe with absolute certain that Christ is indeed our hope. And in doing so, we accept certain responsibilities in, in doing that. Uh, we understand that when we think about hope, we understand that this hope in Christ, first and foremost, is for salvation. That we have a hope that relies on Christ, in Christ, because of the, the, the fact that only God in Christ Jesus has brought about salvation to you and to I. I can remember years ago, and I forget the year it was, and, and these things happened, these national calamities uh, uh, and crises, but there was a, a, a mining accident and there were a bunch of miners that were trapped underground and they were to, to get down and find a way to rescue them and they, they were they were intently if there was any activity if there was anybody alive but all the rubble and and as they intently they uh, that someone in Morris code kept sending a message over and over again and that message was very simply is there any hope is there any hope. Well, I'm going to tell you something this morning. There is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope in, number one, salvation. Christ came to bring salvation to you and I because we could not attain salvation in any other way. Christ come to us and He made a way when there was no way. 
and understanding that Christ is the only hope of salvation and that He is the only hope for salvation and it is desperately needed. We have a lot of needs. I mean, as, as, a, as parents, uh, just as individuals, you can think of a number of things that you need. But there is a greater need above every single thing we could list. And that is the need for salvation. The need to be saved. And understanding here that irregardless of who we are, what age we find ourselves in this understand that whether we believe in God, we're agnostic, or we would even claim to be atheist. The reality is everybody dies. Everything falls apart. It is an inescapable fact. And the reality is that regardless of who you are, we one day are going to die. Just to say that, that there's, uh, you know, that this is an appointed time. And then after that time, there is going to be a judgment. So there is a need to understand that we have a desperate need to be saved. The Scriptures tell us some certain things about people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that, that without Christ we have no hope and are without God in this world. Uh, John chapter 3 verse 18 says that the person who does not believe now understand in the context there of John chapter 3 this conversation that is unfolding he's having this conversation with Nicodemus and he's saying you know unless you be born again unless you uh, enter into the kingdom of God you cannot be saved and he says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and a lot of people like to stop there but the reality is it goes on to say that Christ did not you know, come into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world they might be saved, and that the person who does not believe is condemned already. Not at the time of your death. Now, you're condemned already. Not tomorrow, not next year, but right now. Not at a certain age, but we are condemned already. And the, the purpose of that is for us to understand and heed this call of God to be a whosoever and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need salvation. We're trapped in it. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, for who can know it? Uh, Matthew chapter 15, out of the human heart proceeds all types of sin and blasphemies and evil. And that we desperately need to be saved according to to the scriptures. Uh, we're trapped, we're agonizing. The results of sin, according to Romans 6, uh, 6 the wages of death is, uh, uh, is sin. Romans 7, 24 reminds us, uh, as Paul cries, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is something that we desperately need. And we understand that this hope that we have in Jesus Christ as it relates to salvation is divinely provided for us. Again, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. So he that knew no sin became sin for us. In Acts chapter 16, there is a recording there in verse 30 and 31 that the Philippian jailer asked of Paul, what must I do in order to be saved? And Paul says that we are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we will be saved. Salvation this morning is not about your parents' faith. It's not about what your grandparents believe. 
It's about what you believe personally. No one can stand before God bearing your sin debt. We have to own our own sin. We have to come clean before a holy God. We have to deal with that personally as an individual. Nobody gets saved because you're in a group. You're, you're, you're saved because you must personally come to faith in Christ and in Christ alone. He has to do this for you. Regardless of what He's done for your best friend, regardless of what He's done for most of the people in your local church or your parents, He's done for you. Have you been saved? Have you come to a place in your life that you desperately realize your need for God, for His salvation? He has chosen to divinely provide it for you and I. Scriptures tell us that this was Christ, uh, Christ was God's provision. 1 Corinthians uh, 15.3 uh, tells us that, that this is a uh, reason that death as a believer. Romans 6.23 says that it is the gift of God to us and that He is the living Savior. He is our hope for salvation, and He has divinely provided a way. He has provided a means for us to be saved. It's not complicated. It's hard in the sense that there are many who, who sit, I believe, in conviction and know these things to be true, but for a number of reasons will not respond and act in faith. Scriptures tell us that salvation is desperately needed. He divinely provided, but it must be personally received, as we just mentioned. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, but as many as received Him, to them gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The Philippian jailer, Having experienced what went on that night with the singing and the divine, miraculous work of God freeing Paul and Silas, could, could they just manifest salvation to him? No. It had to be something that he desired personally. There was, there was a great point back at youth conference um, a week ago that was, that was made, and that is that you know, we, we kind of live in a, a culture today where it's, it's sad, but, you know, in America today, if you're 25 years old, if you're a 25-year-old male, a man, you are most likely still living at home than out on your own married and in your own home. Did you know that? That's, that's sad that we find ourselves... Where, where men today, you know, you just have this, this you know, failure to launch, to leave, to become a man. And I, I can remember as much as I, I, I loved my wife, I enjoyed spending time with my wife, and I wanted to spend a life, you know, have a lifelong relationship with, with Allison. There was this time... When, when we went to the beach that day and I carried this little ring around in my little swimsuit pocket there, the one on the inside, and every now and then I'd just make sure it was still there. 
It was expensive to me. I'd sold the pontoon boat to get it. I mean, come on, give, give me a little. I mean, I was giving it up, man. And there in the waning hours of that day as we walked down to the jetties where I thought nobody would be but some lady had to show up with a food line bag picking up shells for some unknown reason that day. But Allison became my wife because I personally asked her to marry me. And if you want to be saved, you have to personally ask to be saved. It's not something I can want to my goodness. <laughs> I, 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 I want that. I desire that. But I can't make somebody be saved. You have to want to be saved. You have to personally receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we, we have that need. And God has, has made a way. He has provided that for us that we might personally receive that. And so you check that box. Hey, I'm saved, preacher. Well, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So what about the in-between where you find yourself today? You're living, you're living in this world. You're living on this side of heaven, on this side. What, what, what is Christ, what is the hope that we have in Christ good for right now? Because when I say that Christ is the only hope, not only do I mean that He's our only hope for salvation, but I mean He's the only hope for life's needs right now. That's what I mean. It's not just I check the box, heaven is my home. Fire insurance, check, no. What is He doing now? What is the hope that I have for life's needs right now? Notice he says in verse 6 there, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and bringing forth fruit. It's bringing forth fruit. In other words, it's growing in you and it's showing up in a way that you have hope personally. The world says you don't need Okay, so what do you have? Show me, world, what do you have? What is it? What is it that the world can provide to me in a system? Something tangible that I can say, okay, this is what you believe. This is your theology, world. Okay, that's going to do it for me. What is it? Well, they have, they, they have humanism. So what is that? That is, this is all that there is. And that, that when you die, that's it. There's no hope. And, and to the person that's, that's living large and in charge, hey, that's great. Because to the world, the one who dies with the most stuff wins. But in reality, that's not the point. The point is that everybody does die. And it's not to die with stuff. It's to die with Christ. And all we have is humanism. The grave is the end. Boy, that's for isn't it? Let me tell you what humanism is. It's cold. It has no answers. And it restricts life to this earth. And it denies that God 
can and do anything, not only in the hereafter, but right now. To the person that's lost a child to the brain tumor, what does the world have to offer? Nothing. To the person that, that, that watches your loved ones waste away, what does the world have for you? High-mindedness? You just need to get away. How are you going to get away from that? With all the sin and the corruption and the sorrow of this world, the wife with the newborn whose husband's away in, in some foreign land serving the military, and we're not at war, but, the, but, but just the routine, everyday aspects of being in, in the military. You hop on a plane to fly somewhere or to go through some, some tactical training, and it just crashes. What about her? What about the child that grows up remembering a picture of a dad in camouflage and service to his country, and he can look at a folded flag? Is that the extent of what we have? Memories? Or is Christ greater than that? Secular humanism has nothing to say. When we need answers the most, it is painfully and it is cruelly silent. It has no answers. Christ does. Christ has answers. I'm reminded... George Bernard Shaw, he's, he's most renowned perhaps being the quote free thinker and the liberal philosopher and yet in his last writings he wrote this, the science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Its councils which should have established the millennium led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. See, the reality is when you see the end in sight, your perspective is going to change. Death humbles us. That's why the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. It gets us to think critically about the reality that one day, too, we will have to deal with that. And what are we doing? See, the reality is Christ is not just a hope for salvation. He's the hope that we have right now. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, abundant life through me. God sets up such a, a, a sharp contrast between what the world can offer and what he offers through the gift of himself. Paul there in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right before he went in for the game-winning touchdown. No, that's not the context, right? No, he's, he's destitute. He understands what it means uh, to live in want and says, yet I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in right now. House arrest, awaiting the reality that one day I will, I will face my execution. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is personally, powerfully, and, and he is on the throne, actively involved in our lives and our affairs today in the world that we're living in right now.
Christ is the answer in this world. But yet Christ is also our hope in eternity. Now, now why is that important? Why do, why do we talk about uh, of that? Because we need to understand something this morning that hope for a future gives power to the present. See, if there's no hope for the future, there's no, there's no power to do anything in the present. That's why we're not fatalists. That's why, that's why we believe, we stake our faith in the claim and the reality and the truth that Jesus Christ, a dead man, came out on the third day according to Scripture, alive and well, and been seen by hundreds of people, and the same Jesus that came out of that grave is coming again. That is our hope. Because of that hope, I have joy. I have a reason to have power to live in the world that I presently find myself in today. There's an interesting town up in Maine called, at one time it was known as Flagstaff, Maine, and it is now called Flagstaff because the power company needed to create a hydro dam, and in order to do that, uh, they needed to, to make a very, very large reservoir. And in the plans to do that, this little bitty town known as Flagstaff, they were going to pay everybody for their property, you know, basically through eminent domain, condemn the land, and pay them for their property to move elsewhere, and they would build the dam and flood the town. They did that in 1950. And today, I've never been there, but I'm taking it on good measure that if you were to go to Flagstaff Lake today, 50 foot below that water is a town. What remains of that town? And as the dam was being built and everybody was being paid and compensated to move off, you know, you know, what, you know what did not happen for, for those years and months leading up to that? Nobody fixed a thing. Nobody made a single repair. Nobody cared if the roof was leaking. Nobody cared if the paint was falling off the wall. It didn't matter. You know why it didn't matter? Because there was no hope for the future. Though. They knew in a matter of months, at some point, the waters would rise and the homes and everything in that town would be gone and lost forever. And so there was, there was no need to do anything because there was no hope for the future. And for the life who does not have hope for a future, for an eternity with there is no power to deal with the things that we're dealing with in the present. There's no, there's no hope for change. There's no hope for victory. A hopeless future means a present without power. What, is, what a sad, sad state of affairs. No, we have hope. We have hope in the reality that Jesus Christ has said He is going to return. He promised it personally in John chapter 14. The angels announced it there in Acts chapter 1. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, I want you to know, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is coming again. And all of those who have died before us, they're not lost. They haven't missed it. They'll rise just as Jesus rose from that grave. There's the hope of Christ and His glorious return. There's the hope of Christ and the hope of His resurrection. Uh, 2 Timothy there in chapter 1 says that Christ has abolished uh, death. He's our hope of 
He's our hope in a resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spends a very number of verses there talking about how death does not win. Hope. Resurrection. And hope and deliverance. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it's appointed once for men to die and then comes the judgment or they face judgment. See the reality is are we right with God? Do we know Him personally and are we saved? We're going to need that because we're going to face every need going to bow and every tongue is going to confess and He is either Lord of our life or He will be the judge of our life. Either our sins have been judged in Christ Jesus and in heaven there will be the, 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 the works judgment but not our, our soul or we will face Christ as our judge. And the scriptures tell us that that judgment is certain. And yet those who are saved today, we have no fear of that. Scripture tells us that we have passed from death unto life. Christ is our only hope. It is an audacious claim, but it is a wonderful truth. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because this, it matters. And when I talk about the hope, for eternity means power in the present. It means everything to the believer. Why? Why is that so important? Because, folks, there are three things that are going to last forever. God, His Word, and people. We're gonna, everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. Christ our hope in that day when we meet Him face to face. And, and, and the hope and the reality of that resurrection and the glorious reunification with Christ in heaven, that gives us power to understand our need to be faithful, to preach the Word, to teach the Word, to make disciples. Folks, if there's no if there's no plan, if there's no expectation, if there's no hope, if there's no vision, then there's no power. And we don't care. And God forbid. We're not living here by accident. We're here by the divine purpose and counsel of God. We have hope in Him. We are to live as if those things are true. We are to proclaim those things because they are true. And we are to share those things because of the consequences of knowing that truth. Do you believe that? Have you done that? Let's join our hearts in prayer as we would respond to God in faith this morning. With our heads bowed as Carl and Jonathan come. Father, we thank you for your love and the great love and the mercy in which you come to us. We thank you for the gift of salvation because, Lord, you have purchased it and paid for it in full.
And God in faith today, in faith today, help us to reach out and respond faithfully to that call. That whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. If there's one here today, God, would you draw them through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to make that today. Have your will in every heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand our feet, church. As we sing this morning, only trust Him. No need to turn. Just look. Only trust Him. If you've never been saved this morning, I want to call you to respond in faith. Respond in faith this morning as you trust Christ. Made aware of this morning before.